Our scripture for today is found in uh, 1 Kings, and I think I'm going to just read it as we go through the message and, and just kind of look at uh, one passage at a time. But before we do, uh, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, today and every day, may our words be your words. May our thoughts be your thoughts. And may our deeds be those things that you would have us do. Amen. Well, Never Forsaken is the the title of our current sermon series, as you know. And and DJ has done a great job of selecting the passages and stories that we're going to be exploring during this season of Lent. And, And he has presented some very deep, deep concepts. Uh, for us to attempt to absorb. And it's okay, I think, to say attempt because DJ himself has said that, you know, he's just studying these things and he's just starting to get a grasp on them. Uh, You know, these concepts of guilt and shame, for example, and how we're to regard and, and deal with these conditions in our lives. And, you know, he's a brave person to preach on something that he's just beginning to understand. I give him credit for for doing that. Uh, But that really emphasizes the fact that we are all on a journey. You know, Christianity is a process. It is a growth process, a growth experience. It's a lifelong quest, really, to grasp and to understand, and even more importantly, to apply the truths of our faith. And in reality... We never fully grasp them. We just get a little closer, I think, each time we have a a revelation or an insight. We never entirely understand the truths of our faith. We can just begin to understand Jesus and his teachings because they are so deep and they are so rich. And we certainly do not ever fully apply all the truths that are a part of our faith. You see, we're just scratching the surface. But that knowledge should not discourage us, really. Uh, Our goal should be to become more and more like Jesus, more and more like Jesus every day. Uh, Listen to these, the first two verses of the, the hymn, More About Jesus. More about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. More about Jesus let me learn, more of his holy will discern. Spirit of God my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. You know, uh, that's a wonderful thought because one day we will have arrived. One day we will have achieved perfection but it will not be of our own doing. You know, hopefully we will have gotten closer to Jesus' example even than we are now, but the final perfecting comes in accepting what we cannot do on our own, receiving that cleansing blood of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, in receiving that full and complete restoration of who God originally attended, intended us to be. We will be perfect at that time, even as our Father in heaven is perfect, because Jesus calls us in that way. 
And that's a wonderful picture. But it's a picture that is far from those we have presented to us in the personalities that we're exploring during this Lenten sermon series. Every one of them. You know, Adam and Eve on the first week, Jonah last week. Today is Elijah. We're going to be looking at John the Baptist, Paul, and even Jesus himself. All are being examined or scrutinized when they were at the very worst point in their lives. The very worst point in their lives. You see, the Bible is about some very human, human beings. Some very human, human beings. We have a record of of some of the amazing and the miraculous things that they were able to accomplish with God's power and direction. But each and every one of them had their challenges, Jesus included. And all but Jesus had failings. All but Jesus had failings. And Jesus even experienced some shortcomings. And I don't want you to get the wrong idea in what I'm saying. Those shortcomings were because he was human, because he accepted, he took on being a human being. He had those limitations due to his humanity. And all except Jesus were sinners, just like you, just like me. And I think the closest to perfection that any mortal person in the Bible came was John the Baptist. And this is by Jesus' own testimony of John. Jesus said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That is a pretty awesome compliment. And it came from Jesus himself, right? And yet John would also have his low point, but that's next week. I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. This week, we're talking about Elijah. Now, Elijah was a powerful prophet. If you don't already know that, he was regarded as probably the most powerful prophet. When he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and with Moses, it's conjectured that he was there because he was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And there's no doubt that God used Elijah in a mighty way. God gave Elijah boldness before King Ahab uh, there in the king's palace. God provided for Elijah in a miraculous way during a famine. God fed him bread and meat brought by ravens. And God showed his provision in the person of the widow and the unending flour and oil and also in the healing of the widow's son when she thought he was dead. And who can forget how Elijah used in a very mighty way, used the connection with God that he had, being a prophet, to crush the prophets of Baal and to convince the people that God is the one true and powerful God and that Baal was nothing. It was an amazing demonstration of God's power, literally a mountaintop experience with fire from heaven coming down and totally consuming that water-drenched sacrifice and the soaked wood and the stones and even the dirt underneath and drying up the water that filled the trench around the altar. 
And if that wasn't enough, God then sent rain to end the drought, and Elijah was able to prophesy it. And after all of this, all of this happening in the same day, Elijah was able to outrun Ahab, who was in a chariot going back to the palace. Amazing. And so if Elijah were were asked to select one chapter for his biography, one that would characterize his life story and tell of his mighty performance before the Lord, the chapter that we're going to examine this morning would not be the chapter that he would have chosen. In fact, if it would have been up to Elijah, if he would have had anything to do with it, the events of 1 Kings 19 would have never even seen the light of day. So let's take a look at 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. We're going to look at the first three verses first. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So uh, first we have uh, Ahab going back and telling Jezebel. And, And what's he telling her that Elijah had done? Well, Elijah had made complete fools of her prophets of Baal. Complete fools of all 450 of them. And then he killed them with the sword, all 450. And Ahab was delivering this news to Jezebel. Now, second question. Why did Jezebel send a messenger to tell Elijah what she was going to do instead of just sending a soldier to kill him? Seems like that would have been easier, right? But you see, Jezebel wanted more than just Elijah's life. She wanted to shame him. He had shamed her by discrediting the prophets, putting them to death, and she wanted to shame him. So she makes this threat. So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, the prophets, by high noon tomorrow. She didn't really say high noon. By this time tomorrow. Jezebel was an evil, evil queen. You don't get too many parents naming their newborn daughters Jezebel, do you? No. You really don't. She was evil personified. And that's why she wanted to shame him. She wanted to disgrace him. And and you know, it worked. Elijah was scared. He took off. He ran for his life, the scripture says. What a change had taken place. You know, Elijah went from this experience of God using him in such a, a powerful mountaintop way, in a mighty way, an incredible way, really. And now he's running for his life. And he even ditches his servant in Beersheba, and he goes on on his own. Let's look at verses 4 through 8. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. 
And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot coals, stones, and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So Elijah goes a day's journey and into the wilderness, no less. And in Israel, wilderness does not mean the dark forest, okay? Wilderness is like the desert, a hilly, hilly desert. And he parks under this solitary broom tree that he finds. Now, a broom tree would be something like a a juniper tree or a cedar tree, pretty narrow, pretty slender, not a lot of shade, not a lot of shade at all. It was a very skinny tree. So Elijah prays to God that he would die, and he says, I am no better than my father's. Now, we don't know if he meant his ancestors or if he meant I'm no better than the prophets who have come before him. And then Elijah falls asleep. He's being pursued. He's running for his life, but he falls asleep. And, you know, I think, and I should check this with with Josh Hostetter, but I think that he was clinically depressed. I mean, here are some of the symptoms of clinical depression. Trouble concentrating, remembering details, and making decisions. I'm not doing this so you can diagnose yourselves, by the way, okay? Uh, Fatigue. Feelings of guilt, worthlessness, and helplessness. Well, he has that. Pessimism and hopelessness. He has that. Insomnia, early morning wakefulness, or sleeping too much. Irritability, restlessness, loss of interest in things once pleasurable. Overeating or appetite loss. Aches, pains, headaches, or cramps that won't go away. Digestive problems. Persistent, sad, anxious, or empty feelings. Suicidal thoughts or feelings or attempts. Now that sounds, a lot of that sounds like Elijah to me. Uh, Many of these characteristics are included in this chapter that we have describing Elijah. You know, how could this have happened to such a man of God? How? How could it have happened? He went from the highest mountaintop experience to the deepest valleys of despair almost overnight. Now there are lots of of possible explanations for this. Did Elijah lose his focus? Did he lose the proper sense of what God was calling him to do? Were his expectations inappropriate? Was he being controlled by fear? Did he start to turn to his own strategies? You know, we could go on and on trying to surmise where he went wrong, but in truth, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because the truth is, that Elijah was not, or or the truth is that God was not finished with Elijah. And just because we fail doesn't mean that defeat. It doesn't mean that there's an end to our calling or to our ministry. 
No, God wasn't finished with Elijah. And in fact, there were some things that Elijah needed to learn. And first, God provided sleep for Elijah. He needed to rest. And then next, God sent this angel to Elijah. And the angel is referred to in this passage. Sorry, my antihistamine is really drying my mouth today. (laughs) That angel is referred to in Scripture as the angel of the Lord. And that description is always used in the Old Testament to indicate a special manifestation of God himself. And so this was no ordinary angel. Not that angels are ordinary, but this was no ordinary angel. You see, it was a theophany. Or better yet, some scholars believe it was a Christophany, a manifestation of Jesus himself, the second person in the Trinity. No other than the Savior who came personally to minister to the prophet. Not ravens, not a widow, or some other natural means, but the pre-incarnate Christ himself. Why? Why? Well, it's to show his love and his grace, perhaps to remind us that when we were still sinners and alienated from God, he sent his son for us. It is a reminder that the Savior never leaves us no matter how far we drift away. He is personally, personally involved in trying to restore us, in seeking us out and restoring us. The Lord was not condoning what Elijah had done. He was not overlooking it. Rather, he was assuring Elijah that he was still the object of his love that he still had a plan for Elijah, that he still had a purpose for Elijah, just as he does when we get out of his plan and fall away. Now, remember how Jesus did that with Peter after the resurrection. Remember when, when Jesus appeared to the disciples by the lake and, and Jesus asked Peter those three questions, you know, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times he asked him. And Peter started to get frustrated and upset. But what was Jesus doing? He was communicating, first of all, forgiveness. You know, the three times coincided with the three times that Peter had denied Jesus. But he was also communicating, Peter, you still have, there's still a plan for you. There's still a purpose for you, even though he had failed and failed miserably. Now, note that the angel of the Lord touches Elijah. I think that's significant. He touched him, and he gave him bread to eat and water to drink, and then there was more sleep. But then the angel came a second time and touched him again and fed him again and then commanded him, you know, you've got to eat more because the journey is too great for you. And we read that Elijah went for 40 days traveling to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. Now, Mount Horeb is also Mount Sinai, same place that Moses went to, to receive the Ten Commandments. And guess what? From the broom tree to Mount Horeb, that's about seven days, seven or eight days. So why did it take Elijah 40 days? Maybe... God needed that time to work 
in him and through him to have him realize some things. You know, it kind of sounds like Elijah was wandering in the wilderness, doesn't it? But God was using that time for a purpose. Let's look next at verses 9 through 13. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Better than the broom tree, right? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Listen to Elijah's response. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek to take my life, take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now there are scholars who wonder if the cave that Elijah found was the same cleft of the rock in the mountain that Moses had used to hide himself from the face of God. Well, notice also that when the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah didn't really answer the question. (laughs) He doesn't answer it at all. It's almost as if he's giving excuses. I've been faithful, but the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets. I'm the only one left and they want to kill me. That's what he says. Elijah was told to go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And there was a hurricane-forced wind that tore the mountain and broke the rocks into pieces. But we read that the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now, keep in mind that the God can use all of these things to reveal himself. And he did. You know, a couple of examples. We think of the mighty rushing winds on the day of Pentecost when the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. God used the earthquake when Paul and Silas were chained in the prison to free them in the Philippian jail. And God was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there was another Christophany in there in the furnace with them, Jesus himself. And then there came the low whisper, the still, small voice. Not what Elijah had expected. But obviously, he was not out of the cave standing on the mount waiting for the Lord as he had been directed to do. It says that he came out of the cave covering his face. I'm guessing that if the wind and the earthquake hadn't done it, the fire probably caused him to retreat back into the cave. But notice that after these three, can you imagine these hurricane force winds, an earthquake, and then this fire, 
there was silence. And imagine Elijah at the the door to the cave, the opening to the cave, listening. What's going to happen next? And he was bracing himself for what was going to happen next. And then he hears it. A whisper. A whisper. And he responds immediately. And why did he respond immediately? Because he knew it was God. He knew it was God. And when God speaks, if you are listening, if you are open, you will know. You will definitely know that it is God who is speaking. And the same question is asked of Elijah that was asked before. What are you doing here? Now let's see if Elijah had learned anything. Verse 14. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take it away, take my life away. Where have you heard that before? It's the exact same thing. He hadn't changed one bit. It's the exact same answer, word for word, that he gave the first time. Had Elijah changed? Apparently not. Elijah had not benefited from this whole process, it would seem. From the time in the wilderness, from the experience of the, 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 the uh, uh, hurricane force winds, the earthquake and the fire. And why hadn't he? Well, he was licking his wounds, I think. He was still hurting over his failure, the fact that he had, he had run in the face of adversity, had fled. And he was filled with his own importance. You can see that by what he has to say. He was angry over the lack of response and the lack of help from others in Israel and, and even from the Lord. He had served the Lord earnestly. He had served the Lord spectacularly. And where did it get him? Rejection and exile, according to him. And so God gave up on him, right? (laughs) Thanks be to God, he did not. No, hardly. Although God does just ignore his repeated response, he doesn't give any credence to that response that Elijah gave a second time at all. Because what was Elijah doing there? The correct answer was nothing. (laughs) Nothing. He was hiding and doing nothing. That was the correct response. So God tells Elijah what to do. And we find those directions in verses 15 through 17. He is told to uh, anoint a king over Syria. He is to anoint a king over Israel. And he is to anoint Elisha as his replacement. In other words, God is saying to him, get back to work. Get back to what it was that you were called to do in the first first place. You have gotten off track. Now get back on track. Oh, and by the way, you know how you said, I, even I, only am left? Look at verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 
in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. What's God saying? You're not alone. You're not alone. There are 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Christian friends, how slow we are to learn. How deep-seated are our feelings of rejection and hurt and failure. How deep-seated they can become. And then we keep clinging to them as our way of escape and as our way of defense. The depression that Elijah was experiencing was being used by Elijah as a method of escape. And that's where we run off the rails too. We seem to be more willing to depend on that as a solution than we are to trust in the Lord. And that is what the still small voice communicates. We are not alone. We are not forsaken. I am with you always, Jesus says. I am with you always. Now, I believe that God uses the the still small voice, the whisper, so much more than he uses the grand display. Oh, I do. You know, we tend to look for the miraculous. We, We seem to be tuned to the majestic and the powerful and the awesome. I'm just back from Disney World. <laughs> Talk about the, the miraculous and the majestic, right? But I think he uses the still small voice so much more. You know, we've been tuned to the awesome in our world today. But God can speak to us. You see, we have a God that is so awesome, so majestic, so amazing that he can speak to us in the everyday. He can speak to us in the mundane and the minuscule. In fact, we serve a God who is so powerful that he can use our mistakes, our failures, and our misstarts to advance his plan. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. You know, Connie did not know uh, that I was working on this sermon when she bought a book for me by Squire... Rushnell, When God Winks at You. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. He's written seven of them, actually. And he talks about uh, those supposed coincidences that occur to communicate God's love to you or his plan to you or his purpose to you. And an example would be the children's story that I told, you know, where I didn't want to go and take that job, but because I did, it enabled me to get the job that I really did want unbeknownst to me. You know, we've all had those types of things happen in our lives, mostly when they're least expected, and sometimes when they they even go unnoticed, unfortunately. So we need to tune into them. We need to open our eyes and ears to them because God is trying to speak to us. He is constantly trying to communicate to us and break through to us and tell us about his love for us and his plan for us. And we miss so much of it. Why? Because we're never still. Because we're constantly in motion and because we don't have time and because we're too busy. And sometimes we don't want to hear it either. 
Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, what kind of a knock do you think that is? Do you think it's a... Do you think it's that kind of a knock? I think it's... You know, in the painting, he's holding his hand like this. You know, it's kind of like a... It's just a, a little rap, I think. You know, he's not out there ready to huff and puff and blow the door down. And, and, you know, also in that famous painting of Jesus standing at the door, you know, it's said that there's no handle on, that, on the outside of the door. The door has to be opened from the inside. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in and I will eat with him. You know, when we don't hear his voice, his still small voice, we're missing the best. We're missing the best, the best that God has to offer and therefore the best that life can afford. It's another way, just one more way that God communicates to us that he will never leave us and never forsake us. Let us pray. God, help us to be still and know that you are God. Stop us Make us to lie down. Open our ears and our hearts to be receptive to your ever whispering to us. Surprise us, God. Speak to us when we least expect it and in ways that get our attention. And then, Father, after hearing, help us to respond. Respond to the love that you and you alone can provide.